I'm Grace. I'm the middle school pastor here at TCC, and today I'm joined by Pastor Tim. Tim, thanks for joining us. Hey, Grace. Should be good. So, as a reminder, we are currently in a sermon series in the Book of Romans, and we've been doing some table conversations. So today, Tim and I are going to watch the video from this Sunday, and then we'll talk a little bit about it and kind of continue the conversation beyond the table and into our homes. So let's do this. Roll that tape. Hey, Carolyn. So good to see you again. I know it's been some crazy times lately, but I know I've been working on lining up college and thinking about the future, also trying to keep those grades up at school. Hi, Daniel. It's good to see you. It's good to be outside. Uh, COVID-19 kept me in the house, but not just that. It was a broken knee and knee surgery and my husband having a stroke and learning how to be an effective caregiver, which is not one of my spiritual gifts. But it sounds like you've been really busy over the COVID-19 season. And funnily enough, the same thing's happening in our passage today. There's a lot going on, a lot of similar themes being discussed in different ways. But because there's so much happening in the passage today, um, what's something that stood out to you initially? Well, I love the passage, I believe it's in chapter 11, that says, how will they hear without a preacher? How would they know the message without one sending it to them? How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel? As a retired missionary, that's very special to me. I just wondered how young people today feel about sending the gospel around the world. There's part of it is sending the gospel around the world, but also for me, and uh, when talking amongst the kids of the youth group is the way we can be missionaries now is being like missionaries never turning it off never stopping being missionaries in our school and in our city and being kind and Christ-like to the people we meet because you think like while overseas and around the world there's definitely mission work to be done there's mission work right here in our backyard as well I think Paul all the way through these chapters are saying that there's no one beyond the love of God and then whether Jews or Gentiles or Americans or Chinese or whoever we are that were accepted by God and there was just one other thing that really struck me in the story about Esau and Jacob the, the, the Lord said the older shall serve the younger how can we serve the young people of today in this culture uh, Caroline, I think a way that older people can serve the younger people today is to um, invest and mentor them, and especially in a world where things get really can get really hectic and there's messages coming from everywhere. I think um, we were talking about in youth group the other night that um, you must know your purpose before you can become wise, and so I feel like, especially you, you've found your purpose and gained a lot of wisdom from that, and I think a way you can serve the younger generation is passing on that wisdom you've learned from all your years of experience, and so, yeah, that's way, I think, a big way that the older generation can serve the younger generation is investing in them and spending time with them and passing those things on. 
Well, thanks, Daniel. It's been good to talk to you about this passage. I love young people, and I hope that I can be a blessing to them. Thank you so much for meeting here with me today and talking. I've had a great time. First off, I want to say that I'm such a huge fan of both of those people. <laughs> like, so much. Oh, my gosh. On the day that I asked Daniel to do that, Carol Ann had been walking by. And originally, I asked for another high school student, but she couldn't make it um, at the time that the filming was going to happen. And so I said, Daniel was just standing right there. I said, Daniel, what about you? Are you free at 3 o'clock on that day? And he said, yeah, yeah, I could be there by that day. And if you don't know Daniel and you don't know Carol Ann, Daniel is probably 6'5". And Carol Ann maybe is 5'5". Five, five. <laughs> I don't really know. But I just got this image in my mind of the camera panning across that table. And it's just the very top of Carol Ann's head and just like the middle of Daniel's chest. Like you don't even see his chin. So, so anyway, that was. Yeah, but it ended up being uh, even a lot more beautiful than that, I think. Just um, I, I absolutely loved watching that video on Sunday, just because I am such a huge fan of both of those folks. And there was something that when we began this series and I started putting those people together, I really wanted someone who has a lot of years and someone who was just beginning the journey. And that was the kind of conversation. So I really would love to hear more about what they talked about eventually, but yeah, um, I was really grateful to see that the model that, that kind of conversation for us. It is fun. I remember when Daniel was in middle school and he was always Sensible Dan. That was his nickname. Sensible Dan, because he was always the brains. He was the only middle schooler who had any semblance of a frontal lobe um, and would just kind of like help rein rein in that crew. Um, And it just makes me laugh like it doesn't even make sense to call him Sensible Dan anymore. Not because he's not obviously like wise in his years, but just because like I think most of the boys have finally caught up with him in his age group, but it was funny. <laughs> Daniel Hurley is honestly one of the like coolest, most mature, really thoughtful students in our youth group, which our youth group is full of so many of those students. So it's not hard to find them, but. He's pretty fantastic. I have to admit. And um, my lawn has never looked nicer and my cars have never been cleaner than when we got back after having to take this kind of emergency trip out to California for my dad's memorial service. And um, when I got back, Daniel was one of the guys who sh- just showed up to do whatever he could do. And um, I mean, he even went and cleaned out the inside of the gas cat, like the gas uh, door on the car. And I just thought, oh, my word, whoever did this was really taking good care and um anyway he's taught me a lot i'm really grateful for him and for carol and both yeah so i think one thing that stood out to me at the beginning was when carol ann quoted chapter 11 and talked about the beauty of the feet who carried the gospel and just what that meant for her like as an encouragement and um something kind of build up everything and like her wonderful incredible legacy that her and Lee have partnered together throughout the years and I loved also how Daniel then followed up on that and talked about how there's mission work even in our backyards and some people like the EBs are called to live on other continents and around the world and some people are called to missions right here in our backyard and I think that both are equally beautiful in these 
different ways from each other and that that's just a really beautiful example of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God and how we all partner together to further this message and new creation together and I just loved that they that little compliment they made each other it was good yeah when I was sitting there watching this conversation unfold on Sunday because I wasn't at the filming I was out of town when they filmed this um, I heard that question that Caroline posed, how can the older generation serve the younger generation? And I, I, I think I just caught myself saying, wow, what a question. How can we serve the younger generation? So it must have been about eight years ago, maybe or so. Shauna and I put this book together called A Seat at the Table, uh, which is basically examining have engaged in the life of the church, especially around that question of why young people seem to be leaving the church at a faster rate than older adults. And so with all of the kind of consternation that started showing up around 2010, um, with a lot of the research that was beginning to emerge on the nuns or the people who are now beginning to affiliate with no religious affiliation, um, there was a lot of angst that began to creep into the church's life and ministry. And then a lot of questions also began to swirl about generational kinds of ministry. One of the things that I think we found as we wrote that book is that that question Carol Ann posed was not being asked on a fairly regular basis. Uh, that the generations weren't seeking as much to serve one another as much as they were, in some sense, seeking to kind of make the church what was suitable and acceptable to them. And then in some sense, trying to push the other group, so to speak, into that. And so as we've been reading through Romans, part of that has been um, resonating with me. It isn't necessarily Jews and Gentiles that we are dealing with in this particular situation, but um, those who have a lot of kind of like social power and those who have very little social power in the church and how we live as a gospel community together. So as we were writing that, I mean, this was also the time in our life when I felt like we were getting phone calls every third week um, to come and to do ministry in some, some place, some location. And on top of that, it felt like every bit of advertising that was being directed at anybody was being directed at young people. Um, like we really value youth, we you know, and, and just youth for youth's sake was a good thing. And so I remember getting a few phone calls from different churches and organizations, and thinking that just doesn't seem good. Uh, I don't have the experience, I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the frontal lobe of grace um, to be able to like do that kind of work. But they're basically saying, no, we just want young people in this. And so um, all that to say. I, it seemed like young people, like youth were are by, by kind of um, marketing demographic and a lot of other measures are the ones who have amassed a lot of social capital. And the more and more I heard uh, from senior adults as we kind of went around kind of talking about this book and doing different things was um, in, that in the book, we kind of talk about the senior adults as the ones who are in the church kind of held the power or the place of strength and that a lot of that book was kind of directed at how you open a space for young people to step in and be a valuable member of the church. And more and more and more of the senior adults came up to us after we would do some kind of presentation and say, I just need to let you know, 
I feel like I'm losing all of that kind of place in the church, that the church is clamoring after youth and I'm being left behind in all of this. And so the youth have kind of moved into the place of kind of social capital there or political power, even if you want to put it that way. And what was lost, I think, in all of that was how we serve one another. And so this passage, Romans 9 through 11, if you can call the passage, two giant chunks there, uh, giant chapters, um, three three chapters are, um, in some sense, I think, helping to heal that, that the vision of a gospel community is not who can amass the most social capital to be able to get it to look like the way they want it to be, but how can I serve you? So in whatever way I heard Carol Ann, I think she was pointing us to a gospel community in that, in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's such a great point that since the whole pandemic, I feel like youth ministry has been this constant struggle of orienting ourselves and figuring out what is of greatest importance and how do we maintain healthy relationships and keep our students healthy and like in a world where nothing is certain, how can we be the one place that is certain for our students? Um, so we decided early in the summer that we were going to do whatever was necessary to maintain like emotional and mental health for our kids. And that spiritual health obviously is super important, but won't matter if our kids aren't in healthy places, like emotionally and mentally. So we were really intentional of having, um, the safest environment we could for our students to just show up and have human interaction outside of their family units all summer during the time when they had been, you know, pretty unceremoniously kicked out of school and were suddenly stuck at home. And a lot of them couldn't get summer jobs and life was just like wild and crazy and uncertain. Um, And so some of the best stuff we were doing, we had like, you know, intentional teaching and we would do prayer requests and like talk through, you know, like the daily office or something just kind of small and like bite size. But our greatest focus was that like mentorship and like relationship that Daniel talked about when he responded to Caroline's question of like, what we really want is people to mentor us. And like, we want to learn from people in our church who have lived life and had experiences. And I think often we look at teenagers and they can be a little bit standoffish. Um, And a lot of that is just born out of teenagers being insecure and not being sure how to relate well to other individuals in the church. And like their deepest desire is to be an individual who's accepted and loved by other people. Um, They just don't always know how to ask for that love in the best ways, which I think is why a lot of teenagers are scary to other people, I guess. But um, just hearing like Daniel being vulnerable enough to say like we really just want relationships with other people we want to do life with other people I remember uh at a church I was working at one of the best youth workers at the church his name was Eugene um he was in his late 60s early 70s he had fought in the Vietnam War he was incredible big fan of this man and he was so intentional and all the kids preferred him over any other youth worker in that youth group because Eugene would take them fishing and was like grandpa Eugene but still played volley square with all of the middle schoolers and was present and engaged and like was not intimidated by punks but was just present and like did life with them and that meant so much to those students where they will always remember 
like youth worker Eugene, even though Eugene would constantly say that he didn't know enough about the Bible or didn't know how to like relate to teenagers. Like, oh, like my grandkids aren't even teenagers anymore. But he was so, so good at loving and taking care of kids. And I think that that can be an encouragement for us in the church as well, that like we don't have to know what we're doing to mentor other people all the time. Like being in relationship in the church is us being willing to sit at a table with a bunch of people maybe we don't know super well post-COVID and being able to eat in the church or being willing to sit with someone who we haven't had that conversation with before, knowing that it it will probably be a little awkward because we don't know how to communicate anymore (laughs) after a year of being in quarantine. But that that is something that is really beautiful about the church is it doesn't have to be even like the older generation mentoring the younger, but that like we are this community and family and body participating in this like all the way around, you know? And I think that that's so... So beautiful and good. You know, I've heard lots of youth pastor friends of mine say that in this attempt to become intergenerational in ministry, most of the programmatic kinds of things that they've put into place have faltered. In other words, they've put something together at the church with these tables. And I remember trying to do something like that as a pastor where we were trying to intentionally be intergenerational. And kind of put these systems together of like putting these relief boxes together where we wanted like someone from senior adult age level to be with one of the members of the youth group and those kinds of things. And we put it all together and it really was, you know, functionally fine. But when I've heard people describe what really has seemed to do what you've just described here in terms of intergenerational ministry, it's, it's not because it's some kind of system we've put together, but because we've opened places and times for senior adults, young adults to be able to spend time together just doing something. So going on trips, exact, uh, uh, interestingly enough, I've heard one of my friends say that um, he would schedule trips that would interest both of these groups and just send them on a trip together. And so in the bus, they might sit together, they might not sit together, but then as they have these experiences out and about on that trip, then for weeks afterwards, he would see them hugging each other that some of the like 13 year old girls that were on this trip would wait for a woman who was probably in her eighties to get to church and run out and hug her immediately because they've had that experience together. And so there is something I think about just the time of saying, Hey, if I'm going to go do something, what if I called a young adult and just said, would you like to come with me to do that thing? One of the best Um, kind of lessons that I got my youth ministry coursework was don't do anything alone. Um, And that is to say that if you're going to run an errand, like go to the grocery store or whatever, and you know that there's someone who you could pick up and take them with you, do that. Uh, Build, use that time to build a relationship. It doesn't have to be anything like profound or deep or fancy. And you doesn't have to be like, you know, quote unquote Bible study, but just to spend that time doing those kinds of things. I think about so many of um, the folks in in the churches that I see, um, how that could probably help us become a more kind of deeply formed gospel community to, to do something like that. Yeah. I think it's so funny as you were mentioning that, I was like, Oh, that's so true. I think the, the relationships that I formed with the senior adults at my home church growing up were formed driving down to LA to go to Dodgers games in the church van because my dad was one of the only people who was licensed right. to drive a church van. 
and he'd always be like, you can get sat, you can, you can sit shotgun, you know, if you ride with me. So I have someone to like talk to because all these old people just talk yeah. to each other and have way too much fun. And then I'm left out. But in reality, like some of the most like endearing and wonderful stories were because of those rides. Like even Shauna's grandparents, like still recognize me and know me by name. Like every time they're asking about me and they know who I am and they don't recognize any of my siblings and my siblings have all stayed in town suckers, but they almost know you by name because uh, as far as I know, your name isn't actually Gracie Lou, but that's every time. That's that's uh, fine. They're one of the three people in the world who are allowed to call me that. So that's right. Yes, asking calling me Gracie Lou, but that that is so accurate, and it's it was making me think we we were having a student ministry meeting during church on Sunday, Jamin and I, (laughs) in between things and talking through like what does it look like when we go back to two services and what are we going to do with our students then um and we're like what if we like kick around some ideas leading up to camp of doing like a kickball league with all the churches again because we'll have wednesday nights and sunday mornings like what if we did something sunday afternoons and what would it look like then if we like invited our whole church family like you doing anything sunday afternoon after your nap come show up at first church come show up at grace church come show up at tcc and like hang out, be with your families and like play kickball because let's be real. Our kids suck at kickball and they need all the help they can get. But like, just how do we create spaces that maybe aren't intentional spiritually, but are intentional creating the space by which like our students become more open and more interested in growing spiritually. And that sometimes the most formative conversations aren't even centered around scripture but about scripture being lived through people's lives. And it's so good. Yeah, it's that kind of kitchen table mentality of how are we a gospel community together, the strong and the weak, Mm -hmm. Um, which is all, everything that Romans is trying to do with us here. Um, You know, when I think about, because I love the church, I, I just can't quit the church. And that's a large part of what we were examining in that book is looking at young, young adults who have quit the church and young adults who haven't quit the church and why. And one of the fascinating things that I began to see in that was that the things that helped people to fall in love with the church sometimes didn't have anything to do with the church itself. And so what I mean here is like, I would go to church on the like, Sunday nights um, and then we would all go out to pie afterwards. And so some of those mentorship relationships actually were taking place just because we would go out and, to Cindy's restaurant and sit there and and I would listen to the vocabulary I would um, in some sense begin to have those categories developed for me in the language of the saints so to speak Um, so it wasn't that there was some kind of sophisticated program in place it was that I was spending time with people and listening to them and in in some kind of significant way just being loved by them um, them kind of joking with me, you know, across the table or something along those lines where I became a member of that community because senior adults invested in me. And so the beautiful thing is I remember going back to my parents' hometown, my hometown, staying with my folks and I was doing some work and I was like, I just need to get out somewhere and get some iced tea and do some work. And I go over to Cindy's and it hit me that it's a Sunday night. And sure enough, the same people who were, um, you know, they're 20 years older now, but 
the same people who I would sit with across the table came walking in because they had finished their Bible study that night and they all looked over me, Tim, (laughs) what's going on? And I thought, oddly, this, this is a restaurant on the other side of town, but this is somehow where I learned to love the church and why I can't give up on it. So something along those lines, I'd love to see, you know, as, and then as our, I, I know there's all kinds of reasons for age level ministry, breaking up the ages of the church. But part of what I hope Romans challenges us with is putting that back together and um, really understanding ourselves in, in, as a group of people who are trying to live the gospel faithfully and work these things out in the midst of it. Yeah. I will say in middle school, we've been using Play-Doh a lot to keep our hands away from our cell phones. So if anyone wants to hang out and learn about Jesus and play with Play-Doh, there's always room to hang out with middle schoolers. We will never turn you down. And it's always an adventure. You never know what's going to come out of their mouths 80% of the time. So it's pretty fun. I'm down. Big thing. <laughs> but no, I think that is a great Great point. And I think that is something that as we go into this season of new life and new hope and enter into Easter and just imagining like, what does it look like for the church to maybe be resurrected after this really, really, really long season of crucifixion and death? Like, how do we come out of this space of hopelessness with a renewed vision and I know that there's so many incredible human beings that are a part of our congregation who are full of wonderful ideas and passions. And like, I'm just really excited for the day that we're all like fully back together and like dreaming together once again, instead of in this weird, like separated kind of weird space, but also like, how do we launch it? Like we have to have those dreams before we can make them happen, you know? Well, and that's one of the things that hit me in the conversation when Carol Ann asked, um, you know, what do young people think today about sending the gospel around the world? And Daniel's response was interesting. I'd love to talk with him a little bit more about his response um, because I, I sense there's a lot of good stuff there where he wanted to say the, the mission work, the mission of God isn't just overseas. It's also going to be in our backyards. It's also going to be at our schools, those kinds of places. But Grace, um, this is something I'm seeing more and more and more with the college students I work with and young adults who are really struggling, I think, with their place in the church and maybe have stepped away from the church. A lot of friends of mine um, that it's the, the reason they typically struggle with the church is not because of the gospel, but because of the way that the church is not embodying the gospel at the kitchen table. So um, if we're thinking about the gospel in terms of a set of ideas to help us agree about Jesus, that we just kind of hold in our minds and intellectually agree with, that's not the gospel. That's not what I'm really talking about. Like, do you agree that Jesus is who Jesus says he is? Well, okay, that's fine. That's a a part of it. But what I'm saying when I say gospel is the good news that God is making everything new through the way of Jesus Christ, um, through his particular way. And so in this passage in Romans in particular, and looking at, at that passage through the lens of Palm Sunday, What is the way of Jesus here? It is not the way of like rising up in this place of top-down power, but it is assuming this faithful place of service where we are really aligning ourselves with the God who entered into covenant 
by service, um, by becoming the, so to speak, weaker of the two parties. Let's get an echo there of Genesis 15. But what I, um, what I'm struck by is an entire generation of young people who I think would, and correct me if I'm, I'm out of bounds here, but would respond something to some, like Caroline's question, something like, we're all for the gospel. What's driving us crazy is when the church has turned all of its attention towards something that's not the gospel, um, that we have focused our attention on. Um, I think in this season, like one of the things I'm, I'm kind of torn about, honestly, is that we can't be together uh, because of COVID-19 and we have all, it's almost as if, and I want to be really careful here because I think there is something about the gospel of bringing people together, of being in community together, that they're a new community of reconciliation that's emerging, but we need to be really careful that we are not also making the coming together, the thing we are worshiping, mm-hmm. that the church does that. Um, because we are celebrating the new life and reconciliation that God has made possible so that people who aren't anything alike, Jews and Gentiles, can be together in these reconciled relationships. And so, of course, that's going to require togetherness. But just having this, like, the experience of like, uh, you know, the things that we happen to like, music or whatever it's going to be, yeah. isn't necessarily, I, I think, what the gospel is. And so from a lot of my friends who've stepped away from the church, it is more along the lines of, we love the gospel. We're not going to give our time to a church that isn't actually embodying that gospel. Uh, is the, the gospel is not actually at the center of that community. I'm deeply convicted about that. And it's, I sit with that, I think, week after week after week after week going, okay, here's what we've got planned for this Sunday. Are we faithfully embodying the gospel? Um, and it's not just about Sunday, but like, is this going to help us be a gospel-centered community? in the week to come around the kitchen table and the way that we're kind of thinking about life and structuring the decisions that we make on a daily basis. So I don't know if that resonates at all with you or some of the younger folks that you work with, but that seems to be what I'm hearing on the ground a lot these days. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I feel like that that's honestly kind of convicting <laughs> personally, but also just it's so like what I love so much about TCC and about the church is embodied when we come together and seeing that and also like recognizing like, yeah, like this is what it looks like to be together. But the reason we have gathered is not for the sake of being together, but for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of being shaped and molded and formed to look like Christ in order to bring, you know, Christ's resurrection to the rest of the world. And I think that's just a really... Yeah, that the, Beautiful. that the church is what happens when the gospel starts to make things new, including us. Yes. And what does that do? It puts us into relationship with people who are very different from us. And it, it gives us the capacity and ability to be able to be reconciled with one another, um, to not allow our differences to, and I don't just mean distinctions, I mean like differences. Yeah. Um, of, of life and um, things we might disagree about to be the things that break us apart. So sociologically, I love the fact that the church ought to make no sense whatsoever. Like yeah. that sociologically groups that are similar, homogeneous groups are the ones that tend to gather. And what if the church really 
confounded the wisdom of sociology by saying, look what's going on here. This is a gospel-centered community because God is making all things new in this way so that we aren't gathering together in ways that support our own kind of preferential power structures, but then defer to one another to be able to give that place um, of welcome to other people. And that, I, you know, I, I think about Daniel's question. Um, so what I, I think I heard in this kind of, and I, I may be reading too much into this, but Caroline says like, how do you send the gospel around the world? And Daniel also saying something like, um, that's, that's wonderful. Like, I'm great with that. But there's also this other kind of thing too, that the gospel is going to take root wherever it needs to take root wherever. Um, and there's something there that I think we we've got to pay attention to about the church, not being a kind of voluntary organization of people who just happen to agree with one another about Jesus and like doing the same kinds of things and singing the same kinds of songs, but the church as what happens when the spirit of God reconciles people together. And then they say, let's be together and worship the God who did this. So that when we come together, we are not worshiping our worship. We're worshiping the God who makes this possible, this gathering together possible. So if I could just be honest, I think that something like that would help a lot of young folks who have walked away from the church because they see the infighting, they see the brokenness, they see the kind of sociological homogeneity being the center point of that community. What if the gospel is breaking all that down for the sake of something brand new? So something that looks like new creation. This is so good. Oh, so good. Normally, I like to uh, conclude these podcasts with something tangible, but I feel like like this whole conversation has been so convicting, like in of itself, I think it is something tangible that we can all do as part of the church of almost just allowing ourselves the space to reflect on our space in the church and maybe our expectations of what it means to worship and gather, um, especially as we are walking towards the cross and crucifixion, are there anything yeah. in particular in our lives or in our expectations for the body of Christ that maybe don't look like the body of Christ? I know for me, I often have to reconcile like things I think we should be doing and lay them at the foot of God and just say like, your will, like, I want to be a part of your church and I want to do what you want. And I want to look like your body in this world. And sometimes that means that I have sure. to be willing to sacrifice maybe my expectations or hopes um and i think that that's kind of my tangible leave with those who are listening if there's anything maybe throughout this week as we head towards good friday and easter if there's anything in particular maybe you need to be willing to sacrifice particularly in relationship to maybe expectations we have for being a part of the church it's probably something good a little less tangible maybe than previous episodes but i think that's well, you know, I, I think tangibly we're preparing for an Easter service where we're going to have like a band and choir and all that kind of stuff back for the first time in over a year. And I think tangibly, one of the things I'm going to do is to, is to um, hold all of that in such a way that while I can be grateful for it, it doesn't become the whole point of why we're gathering as the church. Yeah. In other words, I didn't come to worship that experience. I've, I've come and we're going to use a choir and we're going to use a, a band to worship the God who made 
our reconciliation possible so that I look across that quad and I see someone um, with whom I, the world would tell me I need to be at odds with that person. But our unity in that gathering is this witness to the reality that God is making all things new and it's starting with the church. And so why not pick up a horn and a guitar and sing praises to the God who makes that thing possible? Absolutely. And I think what's also super cool is I've had three different people from different churches in Nashville asking us if we're actually going to be outside for Easter and like asking for details and times and like expectations and like individuals whose churches are meeting in person and they're just not comfortable to meet indoors yet. And so when they found out that we were going to be outside, we're like sunrise service outdoors at my church. And then I'm going to be at TCC Sunday morning because for them, like it is an opportunity to be with other people for the first time in over a year, which is so crazy to think like some individuals have been worshiping from home and we're blessed that our God allows that encounter to happen because God is everywhere and in all things, but also like, I think it's such a beautiful Easter is going to be crazy. Easter is going to be a lot of work. It has been a lot of work, but it's this work where I'm like, this is so worth it. Like, if this works out and having this opportunity to bust our butts to allow people to gather and have this kind of celebration and remembrance of what it means to like be together and see someone's face who maybe I don't look like or I haven't done life with. Like that's so, so good. I'm so excited. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's going to be a lot of, a lot of work. I've been telling other pastors that um, around Easter, usually churches can kind of rely on that baseline of normality that even though we're changing like the service order, everybody still knows where the sanctuary is, or even though, you know, service times have changed, we still know where the bathrooms are. That's not going to be the case for our church. Uh, We're going to a different location. Everything's going to be different. Nothing's going to be the same. And so we're all just going to have to be on our toes. So that'll be great though. Jesus is resurrected and it's worth celebrating. And so we're going to figure out how to celebrate that. Yeah. Well, good Dale. Thanks for taking time out of your day. Have this conversation. That's good. That's very good. <laughs> you know, I could do this every day, all day. This is what I do. We didn't have other things to do. Crazy. That I know. Thank you so much. Like get ready for a big old Easter service. <laughs> yes, letting us hang out and hopefully we will see you Sunday morning, whether it's for our Easter service, if you're listening to this during Holy week or regular Sunday morning services because after this week we'll be going back to uh, two services which is a little crazy as well add one more craziness to changing life but thanks for joining